0: All right, I'll invite you to find your way back to your seats. Just to remind you that we do have coffee over there if you need that this morning. Anything to help you stay awake, right, while I'm preaching. Hey, this morning, um, I did want to just take a moment before I look at First Thessalonians to address the Supreme Court decision that happened this week. And I'm gonna stay real close to my notes here, so it might seem like I'm reading this, but I did put this together and wanted to make a statement to us and cause us to think about some of these things as they occur. The first thing I want to do is say, over the last several years as a nation, um, we've experienced a multitude of political, moral, and social issues that have impacted us in a wide variety of ways, right? So each time one of these events has occurred as a pastor, I wrestle with how to address them. On the one hand, I don't ever want you to feel that at Rock Hill we just ignore the real issues and the real events that are happening in our world and the effect that they have on our daily lives. On the other hand, as a pastor and preacher, we don't want to be tossed around by cultural forces and current events so that the events and not the Holy Spirit guide us as on how we should preach. So we're always living with that tension, but what I want you to know is that we feel and care deeply about the events that happen in our world. We're not trying to live in some island where they don't matter to us, they matter to us deeply, but we're not always going to change what we plan to preach on based on those issues as things happen around us. So the second thing I wanted us to think about is, so again, I'm, I'm not changing everything that we preach on. We've... Had all kinds of events that could cause us to want to do that. But I always want to stick to God's Word, and even in our response to what's happened in our culture, um, this is how I would like to encourage you to consider it and think about it. As a disciple of Jesus, I think it's important that we remember that each and every issue and event should run through the lenses, like glasses, through the lenses of uh, 1 Corinthians 2.16. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. We are to see things like Christ sees things. A disciple of Jesus with the spirit of Christ, we put on the mind of Christ, and then we see the world through those lenses. The mind of Christ, and that's revealed to us in his word, and we've talked a lot about that, that it's God's word that guides us and directs us. So each and every issue, no matter what it is, that occurs around us, we need to look through the lenses of how Jesus sees it. So in this instance, putting on the mind of Christ to see how he sees the baby in the womb, putting on the mind of Christ to see how he sees the woman in a distressing pregnancy, putting on the mind of Christ to see how he sees someone who has has experienced an abortion, And finally, putting on the mind of Christ and how he sees someone who might see this issue differently than we do. So it's my prayer that in this issue, like all issues, we would seek the mind of Christ, guided by the Holy Spirit, led by his word, also that Christ is glorified through us and in us in all the ways that we think and how we see the world and what we do. I want to remind us this morning that we belong to him. We belong to a king. So we can not get to just think and do things as any way we want to. We belong to a king. And we want to see things as the king sees things. Amen? And so I just invite you to wrestle with that today. And then we're going to switch gears and we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians. But I did want to make that comment this morning. and. Just encourage us to look at all the different aspects through the lenses of how Jesus sees it. I'm going to invite you to take a moment where you just bow your heads and ask the Lord to speak to you this morning through this message, but also just ask Him to give you direction and guidance and ask Him to help you to see the issues going on in our world through the lenses of Jesus. All right? Let's just take a moment. I'm going to give you maybe a little bit more extended time than I normally do at this moment for you just to pray and ask God to speak this morning. Lord, there are many issues happening in our lives and in our world around us, and we want to be faithful followers of you. And so we need the help of your Holy Spirit. We need the guidance of your word. We need the humility of heart in order that we might follow you and see these things as you would have us to see them. And Lord, we wrestle with these things together as your body and as your children, But we're thankful that you didn't leave us without your spirit. You didn't leave us without your word. And that you've given us all the tools that we need to walk faithfully and to understand the events in the world and the things that go on around us. So guide us this morning as we look at your word. May it encourage us and challenge us today. We pray this in the great name of Jesus. Amen. Our passage this morning is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're on a series this summer. Uh, We've taken a break from our series called The Thread. We're going to pick that up again in the fall, but we're preaching through 1 Thessalonians this summer, and I'm going to be reading this morning from chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretext for greed, as God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as an apostle of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, so we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, how we worked day and night, that we might not be a burden to you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you, brothers. For you know, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Our focus today is on Christian leadership, and I want us to be thinking about um, all of us being leaders at some degree, to some level, in some way um, here at the church. And Christian leaders are supposed to do things the right way. They're supposed to have kind of the the right reasons for why they're doing it, and it's all led by the Scripture. And so what we're going to see this morning is... What happens when that happens correctly? Because we all probably have pictures in our heads or things that we've heard about or something we've seen on TV where it did not turn out this way, that it was not right leadership. In the church, people failed. In the church, leaders sinned. In the church, leaders did not act in appropriate ways. And so we have all those things going through our heads sometimes when we think about the church and leaders in the church. We know that there been, have been leaders that have done things for their own financial gain for their own pleasure, or building their own kingdom and reputation. So does the Bible say anything about how we should lead and how we should see leaders? And I believe it does, and this passage will talk to us about that today. So our text today is going to give you a different picture. First, a different standard by which leaders should lead. So those of us in leadership roles, we're going to see the standard by which we should lead. A different standard by which we should evaluate leaders. Sometimes in the church, we evaluate leaders in the wrong way, with the wrong standards. We're going to see a different set of motivations that should guide leaders. If you are in a leadership role, we should have certain kinds of motivations for that, and that comes from the Scripture. And finally, the good news of this is all of this will produce the right kind of results in the people that we lead. Paul saying, when I do all of this, Here's the results of what happened, and you can see it in First Thessalonians. You can see the results of what God is doing. So that's what we're going to look at today, and we're just going to take it a verse at a time like I always do, and just work our way through it. So here we go. Ch- chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you is not in vain. The readers of this letter, the, the church in Thessalonica, they can attest to the fact that this that their coming to them was not in vain. They can attest to the fact that, hey, you came here and look what happened. Lives were changed, a church was started, and the church had a reputation throughout the whole region. They can attest to that. They don't have to wonder, like, wow, what was the motivation behind these guys? They don't have to wonder, like, wow, is this the real deal? Because they can attest to the fact they were changed. They, They were transformed into new people. In fact, last week we looked at they turned from worshiping idols to serve and worship the living God. That's the kind of change that happened. And Paul says, you guys know, brothers, you know that our coming to you is not in vain because you can see the change that happened. And then he goes on to say, but though we were, had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the, in the midst of much conflict. The apostles are a great example to us in the book of Acts about what to do when you're experiencing persecution. In Acts chapter 4, remember when the apostles were arrested? They were charged, and and they were told, okay, we're going to let you go, but don't speak about Jesus. Don't tell anybody about Jesus. And what did the apostles say? We're going to go tell people about Jesus. (laughs) And so they actually told them that. They said, we are going to. You can let us go, but this is what we're going to do. And then they did. Same thing in Acts chapter 16. Here we see the Apostle Paul. He gets arrested in Philippi, and, and while he's, he gets beaten there, some commentators said that when he came to Thessalonica, he probably still had actually the wounds from what happened to him in Philippi. So can you imagine that you have been whipped, and your back is still bleeding, and you still have scabs and all the injury from all of that, and now you're going out to another town, and what are you going to do? sit down and heal up and complain about being beaten. and No, Paul says, I'm going to the synagogue. (laughs) I'm going to preach the gospel. So every time that they they have suffered and been treated shamelessly, they go right back to the place of being bold in their witness. They had a boldness and this confidence in God that God was going to be there and God was going to take care of them and God was going to work through them. And he says, we declared... We spoke, and we did not hold back from sharing or speaking to you. We were bold. We came into your town. We came to your synagogue. And like I did everywhere, Paul says, I stood up with boldness and shared the gospel. Why? Because it was so crucial. It was a matter of heaven and hell. It was a matter of life and death. And so he was going to say, even when I've been beaten, even when I've been imprisoned, I'm going right back to where I can go to share the good news of the gospel. And he says, we declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. He said, In the midst of all that conflict, I still had the same message every time, the gospel of God. And this morning I wanted just to, to pause there for a moment and to remind us right from the scripture what is the gospel of God? What it was it that Paul was proclaiming everywhere he went, every time he faced persecution, every time he got back up and went back out and preached, this was his message. And there's a lot of nuances to it. We're not going to have time to go into all of that this morning, but I'm just going to read it from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. So when he said, We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of conflict, this was the gospel that they proclaimed. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, 1 Corinthians 15:1, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved— if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance. Here it is. This is what Paul says. Here's what I delivered to you as of first importance. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised again on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, and most of them who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. He said, that's the gospel that I preached to you. Jesus died for your sins. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. The apostles saw him. 500 saw him. And then eventually he appears to me as well. Well, I'm walking on a road to Damascus trying to destroy the church as one untimely born. I'm late to the game compared to the other apostles, and God appears to me. And God appears to me and changes my life, and Jesus speaks to him directly. And so he says, that's what I do, and that's what I did with you. I didn't come with anything else, any kind of manipulation. I just came and shared the, the gospel. And he said, we declared it in the midst of all this conflict. He said, you yourself know, the church there that he's writing this letter to, you know the conflict because you saw it. You saw one of your members, Jason, getting arrested. You saw others of your body getting arrested. So we preached this in great opposition. And the opposition was so heavy that we had to leave and flee Thessalonica. But you saw what was happening. All of that is part of the proof of the legitimacy of what they were doing. That they were speaking the gospel and standing firm, not looking for financial gain, not looking for some other things we'll see later in this passage. They were just standing there preaching the gospel, even in the midst of conflict, even in the midst of opposition. That's part of the proof of their message, that they did it in the midst of all of that. And then he says to them in verse 3, Our appeal does not spring from error, or impurity, or any attempt to deceive you. The first thing he said, now again, you just have to think logically as you're looking through the scriptures sometimes. He says, our appeal to you does not spring from error. We were not speaking error to you. We were speaking truth and what was correct. Why was that? Well, let's connect it. If you were with us a few weeks back to Acts chapter 17, when the church at Thessalonica was born, Paul says, I reasoned with you from the scriptures. I reasoned with you and showed you that the Christ was going to have to suffer and die. And then I reasoned with you from the scripture that Jesus was that Christ. And so he said, it it wasn't from error. I, I proved it to you with good discussion. And so he's trying to help them see that the foundation that you're standing on as a church, even in the midst of some of the conflict that's coming your way, and some of the oppression that they're experiencing, to remember that they were believing the truth. It was not built on error. And then, not only that you were believing the truth, but you could see the change that it brought. So the first appeal, he says, is that we did not speak by anything of error. We were speaking the complete truth to you. And he says, our appeal does not spring from error or impurity. We didn't come with any kind of wrong motives. Now, this is where we're going to stop for just a moment and think about the place and the, the setting of Thessalonica and what we've talked about in the past, that this was a a metropolitan um, uh, place of trade and a lot of intersection of cultures. It was on the major trade route from the east to the west. And and he's saying, we didn't conduct ourselves with any kind of impurity like a lot of the other religions and a lot of the other um, teachers of that community were doing at that time. So this is a large metropolitan area. All of this merging of all these different religious beliefs, this is how one commentator puts it. Thessalonica was also an important port and a melting pot city with cultures from all over the world. There was a staggering variety of religions and religious professionals. That's a key piece, religious professionals in Thessalonica. In the city, you would find the worship of the gods of the Olympian pantheon, especially Apollo, Athena, and Hercules. There were the native Greek mystery religions celebrating Dionysus and the sex and drinking cult. The Greek intellectual and philosophical traditions were also represented, and there were shrines to many of the Egyptian gods. Also present were the Roman state cults that deified the political heroes of Rome, and then there were also the Jewish people and God-fearing Gentiles. All of that stuff was going on so that some of the leaders of the day, not church leaders, but some from these other religions and the teachers of these faiths, were actually acting in ways that were impure. Sexuality and drunkenness and all of that kind of stuff was part of their religion, part of their faith, part of their practicing, what they practiced. And so there was an impurity from the, from the sight of the church. And Paul says, look, look we didn't come like all these other worldviews and religions with error or impurity. We came with a, a degree of holiness that you saw, and you saw that we didn't act in these ways, we weren't visiting the cult prostitutes. We weren't uh, entering into the use of alcohol and some either, other kind of psychiatric stuff that they might have used at, at, at the time. Because we didn't do any of that. So we didn't come with error, we didn't come with impurity, or any attempt to deceive. Actually, what was happening at the time were people were trying to use their religious beliefs to get money from people. And they would use deceptive practices... And he said, we acted with integrity. We never tried to manipulate you. We never acted deceptively to gain something from you. He says, so you know that we came not from error or impurity or any kind of deception, way different than the other religions around them. And they could see that difference. And then he goes on in verse 4, it says, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So he said, we've been approved by God. Paul was an apostle. He was sent by God. He was arguing that I, am, uh, I come with an authority because I'm an apostle. His companions had a proven track record of faithful service to Christ. So they could say, hey, you can look back to see what myself and my companions have been doing. Because you can track back the churches that we've started. And you can see what we've been doing. That we've been approved by God. That we've been entrusted with something. What were they entrusted with? The gospel, a message that had been given to them to share. And, and they, God had given that to him and entrusted him with a powerful message to the Gentiles. Now that was his me- mission. And then it said, We, we refuse to speak in order to please men. We're not speaking for the approval of man. Again, common thing that was happening in that culture, in that city. You weren't going to get paid unless people liked what you were saying. And so he's saying, we weren't like that. We were going to bring you the truth whether you liked it or not. And we still see that problem today, right? We can see it in the church. We can see it sometimes in places where people in the name of God, and the name of Christ, are trying to manipulate others to get financial gain from them. And that does happen. Paul says, we didn't do any of that in contrast to being people-pleased. And Paul says, we just spoke and preached to please God. We just spoke the gospel, and we're going to take whatever happened, because we were speaking to please God. And guess what happened? They had persecution. They had to flee. And he said, because it's God who is our ultimate audience, so when we came to you, we came speaking and only being concerned about what God thought Because he knows our hearts, and he'll test our hearts. He knows our motives, and we came to you with pure motives, trying to preach the gospel to you, not trying to deceive you, not coming with error, and not trying to manipulate you. And he says in verse 5, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. That we weren't there trying to please men. We weren't there out of greed, because greed actually is one of those sins that Paul says you know, if I'm trying to walk in holiness and be a righteous example to you, greed is actually sinful. That's a little hard for us because we have all the other lists of big sins that we call them, big sins, right? But God says even a greedy heart isn't what he desires from his people. So Paul says, I didn't come to you with any of that. I didn't come with you flattery trying to make you like me. I didn't come with a pretext of greed, trying to get financial gain. God's my witness. God can tell you that that's the truth. And he said, you could see it because you know I didn't do any of that while I was with you. Then he goes on to verse 6. He said, nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. He said, we didn't seek glory or approval from you. We didn't, seek, we didn't ask you to finance us and to take care of us. We could have done that because we're apostles, and other apostles had done that, and Paul had done that in other locations, where he had said, I need your help in order to, to keep sharing the gospel. But he said, in your case, we didn't do that. In fact, we worked hard on our own so that you couldn't charge us with doing this out of false motives. So he said, we didn't seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. We could have asked you for financial support, but we didn't. Verse 7, he said, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. This is a beautiful picture of how different they were from all the other religious leaders in the community. All those other faiths that I just talked about, how different they were. They said, we came around you like a mother who's nursing a child. It's a beautiful picture of leadership. We came gently. We came like a little baby sitting there because... That's what they were spiritually, right? They were little tiny babies. This church was a few months old. Got any of the few month olds in here? Right over there, right there with Katie. Not in the nursery. Like that. Paul says, man, I reached down, I picked you up. And like a nursing mother, I cared for you. I was gentle. I didn't demand. And and I took care of you as a church and as a people. And he had a tenderness in his concern for them. He had a great affection for them. If you've lost me this morning, I'm going to invite you to come back because this is a really important part of this message this morning. This is how God had changed the Apostle Paul, who for most places as we look back at Paul, we see kind of maybe a guy who came from a little bit more of a harsh perspective. He was going around dragging people out of churches He was going around arresting Christians. When I think of the pre-Christian Paul, I think of a pretty hard guy who had a pretty hard perspective of what he was supposed to do, and that was to hurt a lot of people, okay? And now the spirit of the living God has changed him that he's come to this church, and he's using an image like, man, I picked you up like a little baby. Just picture that kind of leadership, transformed by Christ. He's the leader of a movement, leader of church, and he's coming alongside them like a nursing mother taking care of her children. And then he says this, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. In the short time that Paul was there, he was saying, I became affectionately desirous of you. What, what he means by that is that I really, really cared for you. I didn't just come in and, hey, this is a program that I'm doing. I didn't just come in and say, hey, I'm here for a short time. I'm just going to preach the gospel. You hope you take it or leave it, and then I'm moving on. He had a great care and concern for them. He was affectionate towards them. I really liked you, he said. And, and how I showed that to you is that we were ready to share not just the gospel. I didn't come and just preach the gospel. I came and shared my very life with you. It's this beautiful picture that I came and I lived with you and I connected with you and I shared life with you and you became dear to me. I said, I'm not writing this to you just because this is what apostles do. I'm I'm reaching back out to you because I really care for what's happening to you as a church. You've become dear to me. We've invested our lives in our very selves. A very authentic and real picture Paul is giving us here. Real care, real emotion, real concern for his people, where the rest of the religions in that area and during that time, they didn't have any of that. And here was a man who came with a gospel, but I shared my very life with you. And he came alongside and put my arm around you when you're going through something hard. He came alongside and rejoiced when there were things to rejoice in. He had real care, real emotion, real concern. And why? Why did he have that? He said, because you became dear to us. And, and this is what Christ does, and this is what the body of Christ is. Here we are, guys, just a little over two years here. Some, it's been even less. And I want you to know that you've become dear to me. I, I, okay, I've been in the, I wasn't planning on saying this this morning, but I'm going to, okay? <laughs> I've been in the ministry a long, long time. And I've been pastoring several churches and been several places. And I've got to be honest with you, there are lots of Sundays where I did not want to go to church. I don't have that here. I love coming to church on Sunday mornings to see, to see you all. You've become dear to me, and and it's a place that I feel the Spirit of God, and I feel joy in seeing people. I'm not kidding you. I've had a church before where someone stood in the very back of the church like this and (laughs) stared at me the entire time I preached. (laughs) I had a church where I actually had to tell my children, if so-and-so and and -and so-and-so show up at our house, you have to call 911. So I've seen a few things. <laughs> I want you to know that it is a delight to be here. And I want you to know that it's a delight to watch you delight in, in getting to know one another. So this isn't just me saying that. Like, I, I am saying that you've become very dear to me in these two years, but I've seen you guys become dear to one another. I've seen relationships grow and people that didn't know each other. You know, when I first came here, and those of you who came over from Lincoln Park, I thought you all knew each other. And then we found out you didn't all know each other, you know? And so it was fun to see people getting to know each other and getting connected. And, and now we're still doing that with new people who maybe have never been to Lincoln Park, that Chester Park is the place that they've gotten to know Rock Hill. And we are building that community in these two short years. And I just want you to be encouraged by that. And I want you to see that that's how God's church works, that we should become dear to one another. That we should become connected with one another. And that we should be a place where we can encourage one another. With real care, real concern, real emotion. Knowing that Christ is the one that binds us together. It's Christ that brings us together. This is his church. And the beauty of his church, just like this church in Thessalonica... That they became dear to God, dear to Paul, dear to one another. Isn't that awesome to think about? Isn't that awesome to think about that you are dear to God? That we are dear to God? cares about this little church? God cares about what's happening here? God looks down, and he's smiling, and he's saying, man, you guys made it for two years And one of those years is COVID, so we don't even know how long to say we've been in existence, right? Because we got through COVID, and guess what? We have the same amount of people as we had when we went into COVID. There's not many churches that get to say that. God is doing some stuff, and he wants us to know that we're dear to him, and he wants us to become dear to one another. And I want you to know as your pastor that you're dear to me, and that I am grateful, and that I feel that emotion, And I'm glad I'm here. And I pray and I hope that you're glad that you're here as well. Because that's what will build this church if it's standing on Christ and on his word and on the fellowship of one another, our care and love for one another. That's how we persevered through the last two years, standing on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ through his word, through fellowship with one another. We've gone through something different than this kind of persecution, but COVID was not an easy thing, was it? For some of you who have been here for the whole time, what happened? Four weeks up, right? We were up for four weeks, and the whole state, the whole nation got shut down. We're still standing. That's all the grace of God. But how we keep standing is the grace of God and the fellowship of one another and loving and caring for each other and leading well so that we can honor and glorify Christ. And so this is what he goes on to say after that about affection and real care. He says, you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. He says, you know that our work was authentic because we didn't ask you to to take care of us. We worked hard with our own hands. This is a place where it looks like Paul went and he was a tent maker. And so he worked and, and made tents and provided for himself so as not to be a burden on this new baby church. Just think about it. This church was simply a few weeks old while he was there. They didn't know much about giving. They didn't know much about supporting. So Paul says, I just worked over here hard to provide for myself while I was preaching the gospel to you. So you can't say that I came here trying to get financial gain from you. And then he says this, you are witnesses, verse 10, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. He says, you saw our conduct, and so did God. He said, we acted holy. We acted in accordance with God's teaching and the holiness of God. He said, we lived righteously, And again, if you ever get confused about the word of righteousness, I just like to simply define it like this, all the rightness of Jesus. When I have the righteousness of Christ, I have all the rightness of Jesus. He said, we lived righteously amongst you. We lived rightly as Jesus would among you. And then he said, in their case, they lived blameless. We lived blamelessly amongst you, he said. And our conduct towards you they didn't have just right doctrine, not just right teaching, although they did have all that. But they also lived in a right way. They interacted with them in a proper way. They interacted with them as Christ would. And he says it really clearly. That's what he says. We, we were holy and righteous and blameless in our conduct towards you. And then he uses this imagery again in verse 11 of being a parent. For you know how, like a father with his children... We exhorted each one of you. So the mother, the little baby, picked you up, and I took care of you like a little baby. But then like a father, at times, we exhorted each of you, and we encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, calling you into his kingdom and glory. In the short time that they were there, he said, like a father, I came alongside, and I exhorted you, and I said, keep going. I gave you a little bit of a push, like, Helping on a bike. Anybody help their kids ride a bike? Man, I'm glad I'm past that. <laughs> but you're running down the th- and you're exhorting them. Keep going. Keep pedaling. Don't hit that thing, you know. <laughs> a, a turn. But you you're talking to them the whole time. You're exhorting them. You're encouraging them on. He said, we exhorted you. We encouraged you. And then we even charged you. There were moments where we said, listen, this is who you are. This is who you are and this is how you should be. And they spoke those hard words when it was needed, even in that short time that they were there. And we charge you to do what? To walk in a manner worthy of God. Walk in the manner of the one who's called you into his kingdom and into his glory. To walk in a manner that is like Christ. Because, it's, because he's saying it's God who has called you into his own. It's God who's called you into his kingdom. Remember last week we talked about, it says we're chosen It's God who has chosen you and called you into his kingdom and into his glory. And Paul said, I'm calling you to live up to the manner of your calling. And he says, this is what it looks like. This is the manner of your calling. I want to exhort you and encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God. And that's what I want to do with you this morning is call you and challenge you and encourage you to walk in a manner worthy of God who's called you into his kingdom and into his glory. Man, that's a whole sermon right there in that verse. You could spend a couple of weeks there. Called you into his kingdom and to his glory, so walk in the manner that's worthy. But you know what? That's not just for me talking to you. That's what this passage is talking to me as a pastor about how I'm supposed to lead. And you and the places that you lead And you, as you look to leaders and say, what should I be looking for in a leader? So what do we do with all this? Well, here's what I'd like to leave you with today. First, for Christian leaders, this is an example of how we should lead. And I want to expand this to those who are elders, those who are city group leaders, those who are pastors and preachers and teachers and ministry teams and nursery workers and worship leaders and all of the ways that we lead. This should be an example for all of us of how we should lead. And so it's my prayer that the next time you go into the nursery, you think that I'm a Christian leader going into the nursery. And this passage is an example of how I should do that job in the nursery. Because guess who I'm leading? A bunch of little ones. You don't think they're watching? It's a blessing to be able to be an example. You think of those people who were an example to you when you were down here. Christian leaders, an example of how we should lead. Second application is what you can and should expect from your leaders at Rock Hill. This is an example of what you should be expecting from us, those who are in leadership roles at Rock Hill. It's okay to look at this as our example and be able to ask us questions and hold us accountable to these kinds of things. And this is a picture of Christian leaders doing the right things. How should, what is the right thing for a Christian leader to do? We should love, we should serve, and share the gospel. That's how Christian leaders are to serve, to love and serve and share the gospel. The right way of doing this is from this passage is with gentleness like the little baby and boldness with the kid on the bike. (laughs) And by sharing our very lives. So if you are a leader at Rock Hill, the right things are to love and to serve and to share the gospel. The right way to do it is through gentleness and boldness and by sharing our very lives. For the right reason is to please God and to equip people. Not to please you and not not to make you happy with me, but I'm supposed to please God and equip you. And so all of us who are in leadership roles, no matter where they might be, that's how we should lead, to please God and to equip people. And then, ultimately, we see in this passage that we'll get the right results. If we do that the right way, the right things for the right reasons, the result will be that a church was born. That's the beauty in this passage. A church was born. And a church that was born, that grew to the place in its holiness and the way that it lived its, out its faith, that it became an example to the whole region. The whole region last week we looked at was impacted by this church in faith and conduct. So when Christian leaders do the right things in the right way for the right reasons, the right results is that God is glorified and his church grows and people are impacted and lives are changed. And This is all through the work of Christ, all for the glory of Christ, but all through the church of Christ. That's how he's chosen to work. He works through Christ for the glory of Christ through the church of Christ. And so I invite you to consider and think about this passage this morning and what God wants to do in your life and how it should impact how you view the leaders and what you expect from those around you and what you want to see happening in your life. I'm going to invite you to just take a moment and bow your heads and listen to what the Lord is saying to you this morning from this passage. And then we're going to close with a time of worship where we're going to sing praises of worship to the God who's brought this gospel to us and has kept this church together for his glory and for the sake of his great name. Let's pray together and then let's stand and worship together.